This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Access, access, access is what improves outcomes. Telehealth opportunities for patients with chronic conditions, today on the Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Erica Grotto, welcoming for the second episode in a row, Eric Reese. Hello again, Eric. Hi, Erica. It's great to be back. It's also really great to revisit the topic of telemedicine. Yeah, definitely. In fact, telehealth has indeed been one of the hottest topics of the last year. And it seems like one area that has a ton of potential for improved outcomes and a lower cost of care is in the treatment of chronic conditions. So I talked recently with Dr. Arnold Saperstein, the CMO of Cecilia Health, and Dr. Susan Bean, the Executive Medical Director at Health First, who both have some experience in this area. As the medical director for a large managed care organization, I am very, very interested in whether or not telehealth can improve access to care for our our members in general, but especially around chronic conditions. And that's because the more that members feel that they can trust their primary care provider or other providers, including seeking help when they feel they need it, not only during routine appointments, the better. And for many years, telehealth has been a part of the practice of some physicians. It wasn't specifically referenced that way, but physicians who felt like they needed to pay close attention to their patients, especially those with chronic illness, did use other means of communication, mostly telephone, but some have, as you said early on, invested in true telehealth with video included, at least to the extent that some electronic medical records allow for it. You know, those practices really were thinking about how they might use telehealth to improve outcomes for their patients. And actually, I feel that telehealth can actually be a broader definition than even the visits with the physicians. Because, you know, our experience at Cecilia Health is that we have a large team of clinicians like registered dietitians, cardiovascular nurses that are able to provide a lot of the core services that support what the physicians would normally do. Uh, So I think that from that perspective, it definitively improves access because it allows access to care on a much easier than trying to get a brick and mortar appointment. And then, you know, our experience at Cecilia Health is not only did we build the services for Uh, educators and coaches and cardiovascular nurses, we also built a team of endocrinologists on a virtual basis throughout the country from a diabetes perspective. So we're actually able to perform the full scope of telemedicine for diabetes. And I think our experience has been a tremendous increase in access, but more than that, 
the patients are so satisfied that they're able to get the care in their home rather than having to travel and wait. And it's just a much more efficient time for the patient. I would have to agree with you, Arnie, on that. It is really important for people living with chronic conditions to feel like their relationship with the provider is a two-way street. And we have had a longstanding relationship with Cecilia Health for that very reason. The main reason is that they provided access to certified diabetic educators when that kind of access was limited for vulnerable people, people who live in many of the neighborhoods that we serve. So I think that the way that Cecilia Health is thinking about this is not dissimilar to the way other progressive practices are as well, which is that access, access, access is what improves outcomes. And I think with new technology now, you can actually provide such a high level of care, even on a remote basis, you know, through Bluetooth of scales and and, uh, blood pressure monitoring and CGM monitoring. There's so many tools now where you're almost replacing what would normally have had been done going into the doctor's office and can all be remote and making that data accessible to the providers so that they're able to care. And, you know, one of the experiences we had is when I was recruiting the endocrinologist for the virtual clinic, every single one of them was really so excited because they thought diabetes was the perfect disease to be able to manage on a remote basis and that so much of the care did not require face-to-face visits. Eric, we talked in the last episode of this podcast about telemedicine and some of the challenges. And one of the really significant challenges is buy-in from physicians, from health plans, and from patients. But it's hard not to listen to this interview and not feel at least a little excited about the potential here. What do you think? Based on everything I've learned about telehealth over the past year, Erica, I, I just am getting more excited about its future potential. And, you know, it it called to mind for me a recent conversation I had with uh, Jennifer Leaf Yeager. Uh, She's a senior medical director for Health EC, which is a a tech company that specializes in population health management. And she emphasized the way COVID-19 has disproportionately affected people with chronic diseases, as well as people who are most affected by social determinants of health. And she stressed that telemedicine is a valuable tool for reaching those people. And in fact, I came away with the impression that telemedicine may turn out to be one of the most powerful tools for addressing SDOH. I remember that interview. Can you remind me when that ran in HFM? That was in the February issue, uh, 2021. That's right. One of the advantages that I'm hearing about from a lot of different people that I'm talking to about telemedicine is not just the access that patients have to their providers, but the access that providers have to their patients. And what I mean by that is through wearables, apps, other technology, providers can get data on patients that could raise a red flag before the patient even notices. So instead of a patient reaching out when they're having a problem, the provider can reach out and say, hey, I'm noticing a troubling pattern. Let's talk about it. So in the next segment, Dr. Saperstein tells me his thoughts on that. In my prior life, I was first the chief medical officer and then president of a, of a health plan. I was colleagues with Susan Bean at the time, and we actually had a program for both diabetes and for asthma, where an individual would use a tool to measure their peak flow for asthma 
people would do a finger stick. And if the results were untoward, you know, unusually off the normal expectation, we had a team that would reach out to the patients to find out like what, what happened to make those results go off base. So definitely the tools that are available, and we do the same thing at Cecilia with some of the CGM monitoring, because so much of the continuous glucose monitoring can be uploaded into third-party software so that you can have access to seeing what the results are and you can tell when, when numbers are going off kilter. Let's talk about what are some of the obstacles and let's dig into access a little bit because I know that's, that's definitely an issue and it feels like if we can crack this, then we can really take telehealth to a new level. Well, no question. If a person does not have the right kind of equipment or internet or uh, Wi-Fi access, they definitely are not participating easily or readily in telemedicine. And that's true for large, large, large numbers of people, at least in our region, the New York City region. And so much of what we have found is that even during the pandemic, when one would think that telehealth would have replaced a lot of the missing visits, especially early on, didn't really happen as much as our providers had hoped it would, just for you know, the basic reason that their patients did not have the preparation necessary to, to switch to a virtual environment. I think one of the barriers to uptake has been the payment structures from CMS and then from individual health plans, where almost every health plan has added urgent care telehealth, where somebody can actually read somebody at any point in time, get a physician visit from one of these services for like urgent care with the goal of reducing emergency department utilization. I think the uptake for chronic diseases has actually been a little bit slower. But 2020, there's been tremendous progress where CMS has added all of the remote physiologic monitoring codes so that just as you had described earlier on, that if an individual has uh, technology tools to do measurements at home, they actually now have a reimbursement structure where a provider who's managing chronic disease can get reimbursed for overseeing and managing the results of that remote monitoring. So, and I think the, the real issue is getting an uptake across the board from different health plans to be able to provide telehealth for both chronic disease as well as for urgent care. I would build on that to say one major challenge is ensuring that providers actually have the equipment and technology, I think Arnie raised that earlier, necessary for protecting the privacy of their patients. And at least at our plan at Health First, we've been encouraging providers to sign up with us as a telehealth provider so we can know that indeed they are able to provide those services. And to think about what it will take for those services to happen, including the correct equipment and all the right documentation and so on. I'm glad you brought that up. A few months ago, I wrote a story for our member magazine, HFM, about telehealth. And I spoke with a physician, I believe she was in Ohio. And she told me at the very beginning, there was this scramble to get everybody into telehealth and they didn't have enough laptops for physicians to be able to do this. They had never needed them. They hadn't really done telehealth uh, on a wide scale before. And so even the most basic piece of equipment she didn't have at the very beginning and her health system had to scramble to get them for everyone. And they did, and it was fine. But 
I mean, I think everybody's probably equipped with at least that for now. But if we're talking about next level telehealth, I, I think you're right. I think that organizations are going to need to rethink their equipment needs. Which actually goes back to one of the first things I said of, you know, both physicians as well as intermediate level care providers being necessary. So at Cecilia, we did a program with COVID. It was actually a, a Helmsley Charitable Trust a grant to large type one clinics that had a large number of patients living with diabetes. So when COVID came, they basically shut down in-person visits, went to telehealth. And what they realized is that the patients were struggling. They had no idea how to upload their data. You know, they used to come in with their monitor and it would get uploaded in the office and they would see the results. So I think using mid-level providers, one of the programs we did was actually to teach patients how to upload their data and also teach them what the data meant and how like the diet and exercise impacted the results so that by the time they got in front of the physician, it was an extremely time efficient visit. You know, the physician was able to actually do physician work rather than the administrative work of trying to download the data and teaching somebody how to download the data. So I think having the complementary services of both a physician as well as mid-level providers who can, you know, help move the patients along can make this a very efficient system. As we discussed in the last episode, the May issue of HFM focuses on telehealth and the cover story is a great read. And Eric, you've got some good stuff too, haven't you? Yeah, the May issue also is going to have a report on the findings of a health system's research into their relative costs for delivering healthcare services. And that, that was within the health systems department of orthopedics. The health system was exploring those costs to provide a basis for setting its expectations for payment for such services. And as Arnold Saperstein noted, uh, payment structures have been a major concern for providers that have been looking into expanding telehealth offerings. So I think the health system's perspectives will provide some value for readers. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you want to look for that cover story or that article or, of course, any anything else in HFM, you will find it in your mailbox soon or you can read it now on the HFM app or at HFMA.org. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our president and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. If you'd like to learn more about our podcast or have an idea you'd like to hear about, reach out. You can email the team at podcast at hfma.org. I think that's it.